0: If you're able to stand for a moment longer, we're going to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. We're going to read verses 18 through 21. So, Proverbs, verse uh, chapter 16, starting at verse 18. This is the word of our Lord. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. The wise man, the wise in heart, will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you empower your servant as he opens up your word to us. Open our eyes and hearts to receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It gives me great joy to welcome Pastor Doug Lehman to our pulpit today.
1: great privilege to be here with you all to see you all again um it's always it's always a great honor want to make sure that we thank you for your continual um, help support prayers with us in brazil you are definitely our our sending church and um you know we we're, we're very grateful for your participation with us invite you still to come there's a team timothy coming up this year Uh, Well, next year, actually, beginning next year, I believe, in January. So if anyone's interested, um, we would love to have you down there to to help us out and and see what's going on as well. So thank you, Pastor Teach, for the opportunity to be here. It's a privilege once again. I don't want to forget anything I was supposed to say, but um, we hope to to see you all over the next few weeks, possibly. Um, Excited the boys get to participate in camp this year Brothers, Pastor Tito uh, asked me to speak upon the, this issue of, of pride, probably because he, he knows I'm an expert on this issue. I think that must be the main motivation. And we've had prayer, so let's just get right into um, the hearing of God's word this morning. We know that pride is is a very big problem, a, a huge sin in our lives, and the Reformation Principle of total depravity teaches us this very clearly. They emphasize the total depravity of man, and today, sadly, um, the world's you know orthodoxy is to think more highly of yourself. I think you would all agree with that. But God alone remains perfectly good and worthy to be praised, and all of the creation is fallen, and we are dependent upon Him for sanctification, for salvation, for growth. So to him alone, be all the glory should be our constant um, echo of praise to him. Um, Because we are born into sin, as God's word so clearly teaches us, this sin of pride works somewhat like a spring now I'm setting some mold traps down at the, at the yard there and to set a mold trap you need to you need to spring it and and it, it wants to fall back into its it's you know its mold and there's a tension in that and that's why the trap works and our nature is somewhat like that it will fall back down into its original sinful tendencies if it's not Constantly pressed open by diligence, by the work of god 's spirit through prayer, and really um, exercising ourselves in godliness if, if we don 't do that, pride will um, you know make its ugly head return and manifest itself in our lives god 's word says the heart of man is is corrupt and desperately wicked who can know it, and so that 's the actual position of mankind, though they don't want to hear that. Apostle Paul teaches this very clearly, echoing some of these verses that that speak about the total depravity of man. He has a great war within himself, he says in in Romans chapter 7. You know, in this case, uh, it's not me that does it, but sin that is is within me and I'm trying to translate some of this from Portuguese so you know if it comes out not not so perfect you'll understand why Um, it's sin that is in me this is uh, that great evil that resides within that we must learn how to deal with we need a biblical anthropology a biblical view of man we need a discipline to work against the sinful tendencies of man we need uh, to suspect ourselves more. We, we need to be more cautious of this sinful tendency that is within us. Jesus says in, in Matthew 7, I know it's a verse that you well know, um, that we need to focus on our own hearts because the tendency will be to focus on the sin of others. But Jesus turns out all around And he says, take the log out of your own eye before you work on the sin, the speck that is in the eyes of others. Everyone struggles with sins. We're very good at pointing out sin in others. All of us are. We can just see it uh, so clearly. But we are not good, naturally, at seeing sin in ourselves. And Jesus, once again, he says... That's what we need to focus on. And so it's a a good topic to talk about, pride. I know you guys have been working on this humility over the past year or so, Pastor Tito mentioned to me. But the Bible is very clear once again that the chief problem with our lives is this great battle with sin. In Genesis way, in the early parts of the Bible, Genesis 6, 5, we read, The Lord looked at the evil of man, and that it had multiplied tremendously across the earth, the sinfulness of man, and that their hearts continually sought after evil things. And so God's Word teaches us that the problem is it's a heart issue. Now, so we've summed up quickly, you know, the reformed view of man and our problem of total depravity. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if we could seek and understand and know what of all the aspects of sin is the chief sin? Maybe the, the main motor of sin. What is the sin that is the catalyst to a whole bunch of other sins? Now, there's been different views on that. We, since sin is our great battle, we must become experts at understanding sin, knowing sin, especially in our own lives, so that we can deal with it. Because if we're ignorant about our sinful human nature... We're going to have a hard time battling it. We won't even realize it's a very big problem. And when you multiply that by millions of people in a society and a culture, you will see the demolition of that of that people and of that kind because sin will end up destroying them. So we must know sin and how to deal with it. When I played basketball way back in the day, um, we would watch films of the oppo- of the opponents. And because we wanted to see their weak points, we wanted to know where to focus our energies and efforts as we played against them. And in the same sense, we should know the main enemy of our soul and focus then in that area. There was a theologian named Brackle who said that the main sin is unbelief. He thought that's what God's word teaches he said that the fall of, of man Adam and Eve uh, became up upon them because of disobedient unbelief and there is some scriptures that teach that um, the serpent tricked deceived Eve and therefore she fell in unbelief says 2nd Corinthians 11 3 and so for him the first sin is not pride but it's um, it, it's Unbelief—that was his view. and It's definitely a contender of the great, the great, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, foundational sins. But Augustine and Ambrose, uh, two other great historical theologians, they uh, said that pride was the chief sin. Sin is above all else arrogance they said, pride in the soul. And that was the fundamental problem of Adam. He wanted for himself that which was not destined for him, to be equal with the Creator. It was that seduction, to be uh, seduced by divinity. I want to be like God. I want His power, and I want His beauty, and I want everything that He is. So, I don't know if we'll ever be able to understand, you know, necessarily between these great theologians and as we analyze God's word, is the greatest sin unbelief? Is it pride or maybe it's idolatry? I think those three, you know, they kind of, you know, maybe idolatry is, is the, the sin that gives birth to all others and pride, maybe being the chief idol of our hearts. Now. There were other men throughout history, many, many men, actually. One was Pelagius, and I know you've heard about him, but he taught a different view of man than Augustine in the Word of God. He thought man was good and that he was not born with this sinful tendency in his nature to do evil. No, he was not born that way. Um, Unfortunately, Our educational institutions and pretty much, you know, the culture at large, even the Western world, is dominated by his thinking. Not biblical thinking, not Augustinian, not Pauline thinking, but by Pelagius. Men are good. And the problem is something else, not their heart. And please understand the profound implications of that erroneous analysis of who man is in their nature. Because if you don't know his main problem, you don't know how to help him. You don't know um, where to focus, obviously, on the gospel. And so man has abandoned this idea that man is sinful and therefore, in Brazil, for example, we live behind bars. And that's arriving more and more um, in our culture, I think, is the danger arises we come home now and there's, guys spinning out their streetcars in the road and, you know, causing. Them. My boys experienced that a couple of nights ago, and I guess it's a pretty common thing. You know? And we're, we live more fearfully as the world proclaims that man is good. The world becomes more dangerous all the time. So let's look at, with that very large introduction, let's look at a couple passages um, that teaches about pride and what we can learn from it, how to battle this great sin. So one of the first chapters I would like to look at is Ezekiel chapter 28. Um, if you don't, if you just want to listen, you could do that as well. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's a very interesting and certainly a somewhat complex chapter, but I think it's something very important for us to see about pride in this text. Um, the king of Tyre is here being spoken about and his his idolatrous relationship with himself. Now, in Brazil, we we have a really nice word, and I don't know what that word is in English. It's called egolatria. Egolatria. Uh, Maybe egolatria. I'm I'm not sure. But self-worship is basically the idea here. It's it's a kind of idolatry in his self-worship. And he was involved with this. And you can see that. In Ezekiel chapter 28, I'll just read a few verses so you can see the criticism of the prophet against the king of Tyre. The word of the Lord came to me saying, said a man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. So here's the king of Tyre and The prophet's interesting here. It seems like we don't know the exact person who he's referring to at times in this text. He's certainly referring to the king, the physical king of that time. But he's reflecting certainly upon, it seems, Satan as well as possibly Adam in his fall. And obviously Satan's fall. And you'll see that. And maybe you can try to figure out who is this prophet talking about. It's more about Satan in this or Or Adam, the first human sinner, that the king of Tyre is following the example of of these two great figures. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. Using uh, sarcasm here, right? There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With you, your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, the Lord says this to you because you have set your heart as the heart of a God. Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. And so there's this judgment that comes upon the land because of the pride of the king, the leader of the people. Continuing on uh, in verse 11. It says this, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now, see if he's referring to Satan here or or Adam. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sarges, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Seems like he's talking about Satan here, isn't he? A great cherubim that was so beautiful and had so many many splendid gifts. Until iniquity was found in you. Now, the Bible doesn't reveal to us uh, that total mystery of how Sin entered into the heart of, of Satan, but it happens here. It's related to us. The Bible doesn't resolve totally, at least in, in my uh, understanding, uh, the initial problem of evil, but it explains how it happened. And here's one explanation: Iniquity was found in you, and so he continues on in verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of all this. Because of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. And so judgment comes upon Satan, yes, upon Adam, upon the human race, and upon the king of Tyre because of pride. But please see what pride does. It it makes us center the whole world around ourselves. And that's maybe the... Um, you know, the, the sum of a proud heart. Uh, we see everything through the lens of ourselves first and everything is out there to serve us uh, for our glory, for our use instead of the glory of God and service towards others. And so the Bible warns us in many places against pride. In Deuteronomy, remember, um, the Israelites, you know, one of the, the warnings to them was, you know, after you have eaten and you are full, after you have built beautiful homes for yourself in the land and you've lived in them, after you have had great, you know, um, cattle and, and fruit and produce and you are abundantly blessed by the Lord, that your heart would become proud and you would forget the Lord, your God, who saved you, who took you out of the land of Egypt. You were nothing. You were slaves. And so the great tendency of the human heart is to forget our Savior and our God and to rely on our own resources. And I think American culture, you know, is one of the things that um, as, as we have been so blessed, and we talked about that this morning in Sunday school pastor mentioned it and you know i love to go garage sailing here because it's just like i can get new clothes for 50 cents brand new a dollar brand new shoes i mean shoes have been worn twice cleats i need all cleats for all seven of my boys you know and, and there's just an amazing uh, so much abundance uh, of everything, and i I took pictures and showed it to the guys in Brazil they're like, yeah, hey man do, do a do a shop for us as well you know do a fed, do a feta for us you know? know but the problem here is in our hearts, we think as Americans possibly and as blessed nations, it was my strength and the might of my arms that gave me these riches. And so Christians often have a second and third generation of abundance, and they, it's easy for them to forget God. And that's the constant warning of Proverbs. We read out this morning, Pastor Red. Um, pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before destruction. And a, a high and lofty spirit before a fall, Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Proverbs 21, 4. Uh, this high, um, proud heart is the lamp. Of wickedness. It's what guides humanity, and they are sin. The pride of man is what will make him fall, but a humble spirit is what exalts. And so, as God's people, we want to seek to destroy pride in our lives because pride breeds fightings and wars, and our families are destroyed by it, and our churches and our nation. It's certainly one of the things that God hates. He says that in his word. Six things I hate, and pride is one of them. So we've seen, then, the idolatry that is involved with pride. I just want to go to one more passage that is really nailed down in our consciences about pride and idolatry. I think... Hosea, And once again, if you want to just listen, you're, feel free. Hosea chapter 2. Uh, Study this passage more to to understand how pride works in the human heart and how I believe God deals with pride in our hearts, in our lives, because He loves us. And so be ready for this. If you have pride, um, God is willing to go to war on behalf of the sanctification of your soul. And He does this to... to God's people, to his own people, Israel, um, in, in this lesson that he gives to them about Hosea and Gomer. And so Hosea was to wed this prostitute, this very sinful person. Let me see where I'll start here. Um, Hosea chapter 2. Let's. So, so God saved his people. He brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and he marries them. He loves them. They were naked. They had nothing. They were uh, an abandoned child um, screaming in the blood on the street, says Ezekiel. And God saw Israel, his people, in their sinfulness. And, and, you know, the the ugliness and the lostness and, and the death of that situation. And he saves them and makes them beautiful and cleanses them and marries them. And then what do they do? And so this imagery is used Of the prophet marrying this prostitute. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. For she is not my wife. Nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight. And her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and expose her. As in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness. And set her like a dry land. And slay her with thirst. So God raises up this complaint against His bride, who has prostituted herself, who has gone after many other lovers and forgotten God. I'm going to skip to verse um, 6. No, I I want to read verse 5. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, And look how she thinks, I will go after my lovers. Who give me bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. So my lovers, they provide for me. I trust in them. I believe in them. I believe, I have faith that they bring to me abundance, life, bread, riches, life, shalom, peace. I get prosperity from them and I love them, therefore. Um, They give him my bread and my water. Now, these are the basic things of life in those times, right? My bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink, my light, my energy, resource, everything. Therefore, behold, I... Now, here's the Lord speaking. She goes after her lovers because she believes in them. And God says this. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with Thorns. And wall her in. What is God doing here? I'm going to make her way hard. So that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers, but not get them, not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better for me than now. So God is interested in breaking our false loves, the things we trust in. And the reason we trust in them, and what's the connection with pride here? Why is it that we trust in those things? Well, the text says, they give me my bread. It's really in the end all about self, isn't it? Why does she love those false loves? Because they, she expects and believes that they will bring her life, good things. It's all about me, ego worship, egolatria, self worship, and that's you know why pride and I, is in connection with idolatry. Pride is possibly the chief idol because we worship and love other things, because we trust that they will bring us life. And this is very practical. This goes into every area of life. I've talked a lot about my past with basketball, believing that sports would bring me comfort and fame and you know, applause from people. And, and so this is a very practical issue that really it, it motivates people, you know, to, to be very studious because through grades I will find life. And, and, and so we can do that, you know, maybe it's through cars I can find esteem and worth because people will respect and honor me. So we have all sorts of ways to seek these things and she sought them. I believed in them. I thought all these things would really help me in life. And so I love them. But God says, when that happens, when I shut those things up, when I bring hardship, she will then open her eyes and see that, no, those things really don't bring her life. They're just mirages. They're, they're false lovers. They really can't comfort her life and bring her, you know, what she's seeking. Peace of soul and true love. They can't bring that to her. And then so she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. So, if God brings difficult times into your life, it is most likely, for all things work together for good, it is God's hand of grace being extended and saying, Son, trust in me. Stop trusting in that. You're depressed and discouraged because you didn't get that thing that you wanted that, you know, that fame, that success in life. And so. Abandon that and come to me, and then you will see where the true fountain of joy is. And then he goes on to say, it's important to read verse 8. For she did not know this, this adulterous wife who was going after her ever She did not know that I, God, gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold which they prepared for Baal. I was the one who was giving that and she was giving the credit to her false lovers. But it was me who was sustaining her life. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain and its time and my new wine and its season. I will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. And so he does all this to win her back, her heart back. And so discipline came to this Adulterous wife, but it was all because of love. And so we see how um, God often works in our hearts through hard times to help break us from our pride. So let's learn that we need to forsake false loves because it'll bring the discipline of God. It doesn't really bring the prosperity, the shalom, the peace. And, joy and the fruits of the spirit, which we are actually shaking. They're, they're fruits of the spirit, but we seek them with false gods, idols, false lovers, adultery in our hearts. And so what kinds of difficulties might God bring into our lives? I mean, you know, there's all sorts of, there's a lot of tools he has to use. You know, maybe it's relational difficulties. Maybe it's poverty Maybe it's um, hardships of all sorts, physical, could be economic woes, soul issues, complexities of life. Hey, son, wake up. Um, all those things you're seeking, they lead to craziness. Do you see how your life is, is just messed up? Well, then abandon self-pleasure. And see, when you seek God in the first place, if these troubles don't at least relax a bit in your life. Remember that God is the strength of our lives. So please see, once again, tried to show you two texts that talk and speak to us about how pride is connected with idolatry. And today in, in the evangelical world even, we have made worship all about what feels good to us. Often we're the center. You know, does, it, does it sound cool? Does it attract people? It's all about man it's humanistic often and so we need to remember these this word about pride even in the way we worship some things to remember about pride and trying to bring this here to a conclusion we don't usually think a lot about pride you know i mean how many of you have really meditated except if you were going to speak on it um but pride doesn't just come as we think okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go after fame and okay now if i do that you know it'll what, how did that work out in my life? I was in the gym for four or five hours a day. Okay? You can see it being developed often through our practices, through our habits of life, even possibly more so than our thought world. Of course, we need to work on both those aspects of our lives, our practice and our thinking. Um, basically, the, the selfish and proud heart, it seeks its identity in the creature it seeks it in what the creature can offer to us our identity and and we just weren't made to be satisfied by this world and by the creature god made us for himself says augustine right and our hearts will only find rest when we seek it in him and so please don't seek your identity in the things of this world because when the things of this world disappoint me, disappoint you, you're gonna have soul problems. You're you're gonna have a, a sickness in your thinking in your life, and who knows? You might say, "I feel like I'm crazy." It hurts, and good pastors then they and and good leaders in the home they really want to work on this issue because it brings so much trouble to god's people imagine pride dominating a whole land once again where we've often talked about it in an isolated sense about my battle with pride but multiply that by the millions of people in this nation and basically what you have then is a revolutionary spirit A whole multitude of people saying, down with the old ways, down with tradition, that wasn't good enough. Away with biblical authority, we will do it our way. We will make a new man, a new society. Because God's ways aren't enough for us. Now we're developed cogito ergo sum you know we're great thinkers and we've created planes and so therefore we can create a new society and and we must do this this is the new way and if you don't follow us who knows maybe your life can be put away it's a very dangerous thing when pride rules and a nation and we forget god and all this starts really with a proud self-focused mentality so if the pulpits of the land aren't speaking about these issues of the heart then the people will not be informed and other ideologies you know that will sweep into the land and start directing the vision of the people and so let's fight against this sin for various reasons even for god's blessing upon our nation we've seen various exhortations against pride from the bible so father's do this in your home. Help your family fight pride. Pastors, I know that you are doing that here. Some devastating consequences uh, you know, of, of pride. A world of sin flows out of pride. And so if we want our marriages to have success, we need to battle pride. Imagine what a world of sin that, that springs forth from pride does in all these different areas of life the inefficiency of pride, when everyone is clamoring uh, for their own way in first place, for their glory, for their honor. And so they, they detract from others. And when that happens in the church, the whole work of the gospel is, is bogged down because we're all caring about who will receive uh, the credit for it. So beware also of the great encouragers uh, of, um, towards pride in our culture, in our day. I just mentioned self-esteem, self-esteem doctrine. Um, um, in the old days, pride was seen as a great sin, and today it's actually encouraged. Um, even though there's not scientific proof that that uh, um, that self-esteem actually helps people, this doctrine, um, it, nonetheless, it is taught in in pretty much all of our institutions today. And proud people love the doctrine of self-esteem because. It allows them to feel good about being proud. But Paul had a very, very different vision of himself. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. I need to be saved by grace. One of the most powerful men in human history. That's how he lived. And obviously, we conclude with the great uh, example, Christ. You know, He said to take up your cross and follow him. And a big part of taking up the cross is dying to self. It's dying to Self-worship and it's following God. It's loving God and loving others, and Jesus is the one who did that. And so, though we've talked a lot about the sin of pride, and hopefully you've you've reflected upon that in this brief moment, and and you've been made aware once again and reminded of the great danger of pride, and hopefully, as Pastor Nick, uh, Elder Nick, prayed for us, that um, the Word of God would speak to our own hearts that you would not leave destroyed and discouraged because you see pride in your own heart. We haven't talked about the various manifestations of pride. Pastor Tito probably has done that or will do that. But leave with the, the gospel. Christ in his example. Close with these words. Tendo involves. Whoa, um, excuse me. <laughs> um, having it, the same mentality as Christ... Jesus, who was, was with God and in the form of God, did not take that. He let it go. And what does the word say? You guys have memorized this. Before, he emptied himself of all that and became a man. He humiliated himself and became obedient until death, the death of God. Of the cross, and for this reason, because of his great humility, he saves sinners. He actively obeys the Father, and so his righteousness, his obedience, his humility becomes our humility, and the Father sees us as in Christ. So, so Christian, rejoice in your Savior's perfect work. Don't be destroyed because of the sin in your life but rejoice in Christ and be encouraged and strengthened to do battle today and tomorrow in your marriage and in your families and your society for the glory of God. Amen, let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for your word that teaches us about the greatest of dangers. You warn us in so many ways. The passage in Hosea we saw today and the passage of Ezekiel that talks about the, the 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 sin the idolatry of pride of worshiping ourselves oh lord continually we pray that we could put it off we could fight it we could take it off and we could put on christlikeness humility in our relationships in our thinking our words and forgive us where we failed us and we thank you for the righteousness of christ his blessed work on our behalf we praise you that you see us in christ and for that reason lord we want to get up today and tomorrow and serve you and follow you and give our lives as a living sacrifice to the one who has given all for us. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.